0: Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Here we go. Um, if you've been with us, you know we have a few weeks into the book of Ephesians. We are slow walking this thing, kind of verse by verse, um, living in Christ with the heavenly places perspective. The book of Ephesians, four, five times Paul uses this idea of In the heavenly places. We are blessed in the heavenly places. We've been raised with Christ. Seated with him in the heavenly places. Um, We battle not with flesh and blood. But our battle is with the authorities and powers in the heavenly places. Uh, Paul wrote uh, this book of Ephesians. The sister book is Colossians. Ephesians is this summarized book. It is a letter that was to be read and gone all around the area there of Ephesus. Of churches um, in that area. And the the book itself is kind of this compact version of of Paul's theology, his large, big picture of the kingdom of God. And so we've been diving in with this idea of what is this heavenly places? What does it mean to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm that verse 3 tells us? What does that look like, right, for the church? And we need to restore that, right, in in a big way in the church today. So, what we're going to look at, I'm going to go straight at it. If you're in Ephesians chapter 1, I have a lot to um, cover uh, this morning. Have a feast for you. Not just a nibble, but a feast. And hopefully you're okay with that. Some people say, well, this is so much information. That's the point. It's a feast. It's not just a nibble. And it should be important to you that you come and you get a feast rather than just a nibble, right, of the Word of God. And our prayer is that all of us as a church... Would grow in our hunger for the word of God and be challenged to dive in deep right into God's Word. And as a as a body of believers, increase in our hunger and our desire or to understand as we're gonna see, He has given us knowledge of His will, the mystery of His will, and His purposes that we're to walk in. And that can only happen if we know His Word and we're in it and encouraging each other um, as we dive in together. So, with that said, let me just pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. And Lord, for your glorious word. Um, As David said, enlarge our hearts, Lord. Enlarge our hearts with your word, Lord. Give us a hunger for it. Lord, speak. Holy Spirit, come and bring your word alive. Move among us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Forgive us for not giving space. Forgive us, Lord, for filling up your church, with everything man can do, and not desperate for giving space for you to come and do what only you can do. Only you can save. Only you can deliver. Only you, Holy Spirit, can bring the fruit of the Spirit into our lives, and we call upon you now. You know where every heart, every soul is this morning. You know the struggles. You know the questions. You know the passions. Or move, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the churches, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to pick up from last week, verse um, chapter one. I'm going to read verses seven through ten. And then we're going to bounce out to Acts chapter nineteen, which is the background for the book of Ephesians. Acts chapter nineteen is Paul's ministry while he was in Ephesus. And we are going to, this morning, take a crack at answering this question. How are we going to restore a heavenly places perspective in our life and in the life of the church today? Verse 7 through 10. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. We talked last week about the precious blood of Christ. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Listen to this, church. Making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. Folks, that passage, verse 10 right there, is a little marker. It is so critically important. It should be the lens that you read the rest of Scripture through. What Paul has just revealed to us right there, this is God's grand and glorious purpose for all of history, all of heaven, all of earth. It's His desire from the very beginning. We see it all through the Scriptures working is to unite everything in heaven and earth together through Jesus it is only through Jesus the one mediator that that can happen It is God's desire all the way back to Genesis. He wants to dwell with us. How is that going to happen? How is God going to give who is holy and perfect and righteous? How is He going to dwell with the people who are sinners, the people who are rebellious? In the Old Testament we see a people who continue to run from Him. How is that going to happen? It's through Jesus. It's through the pouring out of the gospel. It's through this grand purpose that God is working out right throughout history tonight. All things in heaven and earth together. So let me rock you a little bit. Is I'm willing to bet most of our church background, how we grew up, how you talk about heaven and and all these kind of things, is in you even the language you see in movies and even Christian songs and even in the church among how we talk one another is about going to heaven about getting to heaven, about saved to heaven. I want you to rethink how you're thinking. Do you realize God's grand and glorious plan is not for you and me to be in heaven? It is for us to be with the Lord when He reunites all things together again. And the new Jerusalem is coming back here. Your eternal place is right here. This is a training ground. This is a training time. This is equipping time for that time of reigning and ruling with Him. How we reign and rule as a church and expanding the kingdom of God right now determines a lot later of our role later on in His kingdom. But that should radically change how we look. Because, I mean, how many people just say, well, I'm not... And here, honestly, I'm just a little bit off here, but this is so important, is when we talk to people, most of the time people think, well, man, heaven, what's exciting about that? Man, I'm sitting up kumbaya in clouds. You hear that all the time. That is our fault, folks, because believers have not lived under the reality of God's grand and glorious purpose, which is not some kumbaya time on a bunch of clouds. It's a renewed earth like this. It's a, and we, that God's coming here, and He's preparing the way. How's that going to happen? How's God in His glory, his perfection going to be with an imperfect people? And right now, it's the working out of the gospel among all the nations. I'm going to come back to that and some contemporary things going on right now um, in just a minute. And so I just throw this out to you. How many believers? The big problem right now, it's amazing the number of spiritually depressed believers who are confused about their purpose, confused about where they're going. And I'm going to just give one major reason. It's because we are disconnected from God's grand and glorious purpose, which is to be caught up in what He's doing with the kingdom of God. When Jesus taught, he's 40 years before he went up, he taught about the king, the gospel of the kingdom. When Paul preached, he taught about the gospel of the kingdom. Not this little selfish gospel that we as Americans have preached. It's about your it's about my happiness, about me getting joy, about me getting my forgiveness of sins. That is small. It'll keep people removed from the grand plan that he's calling us into. Which is uniting everything in heaven and earth together. It will change the way you think, the way you read scripture. As you and I bring our lives and our thoughts, it's not to keep thinking about me, what I need, my happiness. It's about coming in. When we get full of abundance, is when I starting to step in and bring my life in submission to His. And folks, let me tell you, when you do that, doors start opening, the scripture starts opening, the dots start connecting. God brings people into your life and relationship. Life begins coming alive. We have way too many believers who claim His name, walking out there just kind of depressed, not excited, clueless about their purpose, and who are caught up in the world's purpose rather than this buzz of excitement. I can't wait to see what God's doing. He's revealed the mystery of His grand and glorious plan, and I, Lord, use my vocation, use my gifts, use my thought to, how can I be a part of this? that is to be for all nations and we'll come back to that in a minute not just for your city not just for your little family god saved you into a grand and glorious right plan, and we're to pray that way our prayers should go far beyond just our life our family our dog and our church it should be grand and glorious right yes i did throw that in because yes anyway i won't go there um I think you got the point. Uh, <clears throat> I love dogs, by the way. Um, <clears throat> yeah, right. All right, here we go. Folks, I have four things, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my best to, to give you these things. I, I plead with you. These are some big things. Every one of these points is going to challenge you. I promise you right now. It's going to challenge you deeply about what you know about church, what you know about how you see things, and about how you're pursuing your faith. Okay? So I ask you to take the word of God. Go, you take what I'm saying. You go search the scriptures. And then you make a decision about what is God saying here. And let's have a discussion. If it's different, And let's go for this. Because we need a radical perception change in the church today. Because God's on the move. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Israel in just a second. And, um, and if we are not in tune with that, we're going to miss and I, I have a new thing. I have kind of a spiritual FOMO. Like I, I just want to be a part of everything. I don't want to miss out. And folks, that's the way you should be. What if you want to miss out? Lord, show me. I want to be part of what you're of what you're doing. It's kind of like being on the bench during the, the game. Lord, put, coach, put me in. Right? I want to be a part of this. Right? Okay. Here we go. Turn with me over back to Acts chapter 19. And for the sake of time, gang, I'm not going to... Read um, because it's a long chapter. But let me just give a little background, and I'm going to take it through four points. What I'm pulling from Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 is really the height of Paul's ministry. It's the most spiritually powerful, empowered time. It's the most effective from from what we can see um, happen. Is the results and the fruit. Uh, It was kind of a pinnacle of of his powerful ministry. Um, At least that's written in Scripture that we know about. This is in Ephesus. What happens here in chapter nineteen has has informed Paul's writing to writing the book of Ephesians. And hence, again, you're going to see why he emphasizes this idea of a heavenly place, it's the heavenly realm, right? Such a mind up there, not in the things on earth, right? It's to be equipped as a church who has been called to be saints, set apart from the world, right? To be um, workers, partners with God in carrying out His grand um, purpose. All right, here we go. First point is this. We've got to get honest with our experience with the Holy Spirit. We've got to get honest, folks. We've got to really brutally honest we have to recover the language that we're going to read about here or that I'm going to ask you to read about in Acts chapter 19 Paul he, um, he had gone to Ephesus um, earlier you can read in the end of 18 if you want to get in there and he left again in that time Apollos came it was a, the church was fairly new except the Jewish believers and others had been there for a while and um, Priscilla and Aquila were involved in this, and, and Paul comes back, uh, says through the highlands, he, he, he was on foot in inner Ephesus, and on his way, it says in the beginning of 19, that he came upon some disciples, actually 12 of them, um, who were followers. And he engages them, as you'll see, and I'm not going to get into all the nuances of what is happening here, but his question to them is this, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I can promise you, most of us have been trained that, well, they weren't really believers. And, um, and, you know, that's just a question is for that time. It's not one we should ask anymore, and on and on. I, I'm going to leave all that. It says, and he asks them, what were you baptizing? So we knew John's Baptist. We didn't even heard about the Holy Spirit, um, they said. And it goes on down here, and he baptizes them in the name of Jesus. And then he prays, puts his hands on them, prays for them. And the Spirit of God hits them, and they start prophesying and speaking in tongues. So, what do we make of all that? Well, um, again, I'm not going to get into the nuances of what is really happening there, except to pull from this is what is our role with that today? What was Paul's heart? His primary thing was, do they understand the gospel? And do they know that the Holy Spirit is upon them and in them? Do they know it? Nowhere in the book of Acts, nowhere in the scripture, Paul never ever preached or alluded to any kind of, and we'll get to Ephesians chapter 1 a I minute mean, where it talks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. He never alluded to some secret that it's okay to be a Christian because nobody can become a Christian without the Spirit of God, right? So if somebody's saved, of course the Spirit's at work. But Paul never left it where someone could be a believer but always be questioning, hmm, I just don't know. I, I know scripture says the Spirit sealed me as I believed, but... The reality of the third person of God dwelling inside your soul. That is to be something that God's people are to be confident about, bold about. It is to be experienced and known. It is through that that the fruit of the Spirit comes alive in someone's life. And so I ask you, church, saints of the Most High God, have you received the Holy Spirit? And I don't want to get caught up in all the theological about the baptism of the Spirit versus the filling of the Spirit versus the sealing. We have everything. When you believe you get everything, uh, well then show it to us. It should be clear we are in desperate need today And what we see of Paul ongoing. We need more God. More Lord. Why is it we're so sensitive about this question? If we're going to have a heavenly places reality and perspective like Paul calls his church to, you have been... Raised with him, seated at the right hand of God. You're to set your eyes upon him, not of things on the earth. He has a life. Colossians says he has your whole life for you hidden up there. We're to explore what this new life is. Um, so I just I plead with us. Please, church, let's as part of our discipleship, as far as our talking with one, or just get honest. And if I, I've never. Man, I just don't know. You, We've got to be okay to say that. Hey, listen, I don't know. I, 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 what, what's the evidence of the Spirit of God working in your life? Sanctifying you? Empowering you? Right? Transforming you into His likeness and then empowering you to do ministry with Him. This is the whole course of the Christian life. And every one of us, we come into dry times, we come into all kinds of things, but over and over again, the, what separated the Christians was the, the life and the Spirit. It was the Word of God, the Spirit of God acting together. And um, So, boy, let's get together and let's get honest with this question. In fact, if we're down, if we're not feeling any authority, if we're not feeling any power in our life, if we're having struggling to conquer certain sins in our life, that is evidence I need more of the Spirit in my life. I need more of Him. So the only way that I'm going to transform is myself, right, should be small. The Spirit of God should be taking over in my heart. And there should be absolute evidence in my life. What about the fruit of the Spirit? These are not some hidden things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, self-control. That's a move of the Spirit of God. That's the, the, the height of, of the Spirit. And so let me just address two issues. And I, I ask you to listen to me and test the Word of God. Test the Word of God on this. Again, we have so many battles in the church. Any wonder why there's not unity in the church. We don't have this movement forward. And I'm going to address the two things that we see. When Paul prayed for them, they broke out prophesying. They broke out in tongues. Why are those two things so controversial? Why would anybody deny and push back on what God wants to give? Why would we do that? Here's the tragedy. Some of it's been taught. Some of it's been taught. Don't mess with that. And what I'm going to read to you, I just ask you and challenge you with the word of God this morning. The end of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul's whole argument here is church. Embrace the heavenly gifts that God has given you. Let them flourish, but do it in order. Do it according to God's word. At the very end of this chapter, he summarizes and he says this. And he he goes and he says, Um, If anyone thinks, this is verse 37, that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you, church, are a command from the Lord. Listen carefully, folks. If anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. So my brothers and sisters earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently in order. Does it get any clearer than that? Does it get any clearer than that? And I challenge you, please search the world high and low. Nowhere in here does it say anything different for the church of God to operate. And why is it, folks? In many of our church backgrounds that we have looked down upon that. We have worked as hard as we can to not pursue that or do away with that. Could that be any clearer? And folks, by the way, when he says do not... He's speaking to the church when it's gathered. Do not forbid these things. Earnestly desire these things. These are heaven. This is the Spirit of God that wants to work among you. In the beginning of this chapter, he says pursue love and earnestly desire um, the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Does this get any clearer than that? For one who speaks in a tongue, listen to this, speaks not to men but to God for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in his spirit. on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for the upbuilding and encouragement and, and the consolation. the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church because everybody can understand unless of course there's an interpretation we could read on i'm just throwing these two gifts out folks why we will never breach into embracing paul's Desire for the church, God's desire for his people with a heavenly places perspective until we open the door to his beautiful heavenly language gift and the idea of prophesying. And folks, just when it said, when Paul's praying for them, they broke up. Prophecy primarily is is spontaneous praise and worship coming out of my mouth and, and giving praise unto God for his goodness and his glory. And yes, it's a broad thing. It moves even to prophesy about what God is going to do, sure. But the core of it is giving God praise, spontaneous praise by the Holy Spirit, right, um, unto Him. And folks, I should just not have to say anything. This is not talking about a foreign language. It should be clear as a bell. But I give this to you. right? And, and why does Paul come in and say, do not quench the Holy Spirit, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. These are the commands of the Lord. And so the first thing, if we're going to recover a heavenly places perspective of what God is doing among his people, his people have to embrace the Holy Spirit and the gifts the Holy Spirit has given us to operate in that realm. And I know that that pushes some buttons. I know that some of you in your tradition, man, you've, you've like ah, that's evil or that's wrong. I say, what is driving that? Man's tradition? Religion? Or the word of God. And I ask you here. Because we either go one side or the other. Either I'm going to obey what God says. Or I'm going to come over here. And I'm going to come up with something. That somehow shoves that aside. And we're open here always to talk. If you can find the scripture. Anywhere in here. But I don't know. It's pretty clear right. Paul says this is a command from God. Earnestly desire to profit. Do not. While you gather together, forbid speaking in tongues. We're a church that's open to all that within order. We want this God, we want all He has for us without any quenching, because you quench, the Spirit of God removes. It's clear as that. And so I just, God has gifts for us, folks. Glorious gifts, all kinds. That's, that's just two here that are in the text we're looking at. There's multiple gifts that God wants to pour on His people so that we can operate with Him in His grand and glorious and mighty purposes. Um, a groaning, it says, creation is groaning for God's grand purpose to come about. God's people are called to groan with Him in prayer and intercession, right, to enter into that. So I'll leave it with that. So just on this one, folks, man, let's, can't we do this in our conversation with one another? Let's wrestle with this. Wrestle with the text and the truth of it. And let's encourage right, one another and push one another on and do these things. So the reason we struggle with that is because that we have bought a spirit of religion upon us or we've been part of a tradition that um, moves away. And he's even taught against Right, Those kind of things. Minimize the heavenly places perspective right? and has brought a gospel that is really just kind of very narrow, not tied into this larger spiritual picture at all. And man, you can go to church for years and never even hear about this stuff we're talking about that's clearly out of the word of God. Or, or we just kind of go around it, right? And so the next part that happens is after this happens in Acts chapter 19 is that Paul... He, um, he takes his disciples, he goes in the synagogue, they're in Ephesus, and he, for three months, he challenges them, and it says, down here in verse uh, 8, right, he reasons, persuades them about the kingdom of God, God's grand purpose in the world, and how the gospel fits into this grand purpose that God is doing. And if you read on it, just says eventually that they welled up a resistance to that and they started speaking evil. And there things, tensions started rising to the point where Paul had to remove himself from the synagogue, which was the standard thing that happened actually wherever he went. And he took the disciples with him and he went to the hall of uh, Tyrannus. And it says for two years, every single day they met. And he equipped the body and it says all of Asia, it says all of Asia was met with the word of God. Um, the, and amazing right what happened here so this is in Ephesus this is giving the background right for what is happening right in this larger heavenly places um, perspective that we're having and so folks I just give you this expose the spirit of religion and embrace the gospel of the kingdom um, and I just ask all of us I think the number one thing I encounter with people today is um, church hurt bad church experience that lingers and it keeps people from stepping back into church Um, and also spirit of religion, right? One where we've gone up at a certain denomination or a certain way that has gotten a hold of us more than the word of God itself and I just say to you today, whatever your traditions, whatever you grew up in is it must be brought and submitted to the word of God There must be a sense of following the word of God, right, and and not letting man's traditions, man's denominational uniqueness, those things, be a priority in our life. Um, Unless they're directly tied to something in the word of God. Does that make sense, folks? There's huge disunity in the church of God today because people are arguing over traditional things, man's things, that he did in church or he comes up with, and that just quenches the Spirit of God. It keeps the church from being united, and it keeps a person, it can put them under the spirit of religion where they're more committed to their denomination, their way of doing things, than they are being submitted and knowing and pursuing the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And many people, folks, um, need to be delivered from a spirit of religion, delivered from this way of thinking into now this vast kingdom of God, understanding of what God is doing and be freed up, right, from all that stuff. Um, And So I just leave that with you. Um, And I want to kind of Kind of take a little tangent off that too About the kingdom of God And having this larger right perspective Of of what is going on uh, in the world today And folks I just encourage you Prophecy is just coming alive And when you get into the word of God And you study the Old Testament Nothing in the New Testament Is not backed up by the Old Testament You're not going to fully deeply understand the New Testament Unless you deeply are into the Old Testament And vice versa and at the center, holding all this together, is this Ephesians 1.10, This grand purpose of God He's uniting all things in heaven and earth together. And um, I mean, over and over again, Jeremiah three. Uh, it says that Jerusalem is where the throne of God is going to resist, going to land. He tells us that the new heavens and new earth are coming. Are the new Jerusalem's coming down right? To where Jerusalem is today, Jesus says, "I'm going to plant my feet on the Mount of Olives." All this is prophesied ahead of time and speaks into Revelation in the end of the book. Right? This is exciting stuff—stuff that we should right be going after, right? And and understanding. And so, um, this this world that's going on right now. um, Write down Second Thessalonians chapter two. Is um, some strong language in chapter two that Paul says in the end. Right there will be um, a spirit of lawlessness will take over until the man of lawlessness is revealed um, and so I just give you that to wrestle with, in other words, leading up to the end is going to be this unleashing of a spirit of lawlessness and uh, folks i don 't know about you, but if you if if somebody 's not in shock with what they 're seeing. I want to talk about the rest of the world. I'm talking about America right now. When you have people who are protesting in support of terrorists, the spirit of lawlessness and, and protesting in support of the raping and pillaging and torture of innocent people. And we allow those protests to go on in this nation, and they're only on the increase. It should wake us up. There's something evil. There's something really evil going on here. And folks, I I give it to you. It's all in the scripture. It tells us even in Jeremiah that um, before the time comes, it says Jerusalem, the people of God. Those things are going to happen to them. He prophesied until he brings in his grand purpose and brings renewal again. And so I just give you that little moment to start reading the scripture To realize everything you read, when you go to Ezekiel, chapters 40 through 48, it talks about the new temple. The temple is going to be rebuilt. That dome of the rock is going to fall, folks. It's going to happen. It's prophesied all in here. And what's going to happen when that happens, right? You look at the world map. You have this one little tiny country. Everything, mass, you look at the map around it, is Arab countries. But all the fight is here. Nobody's picketing out there. Folks have been over 500,000 Arabs slaughtered in Syria by Assad, their own countrymen. Over 500,000 the Assad regime has slaughtered their own people in the civil war in Syria. you ever hear about that? Anybody talking about all oh, those poor people? They've been brutalized. And what nation wants the who is accepting the "This should all lead you to why is this happening? None of those nations will take the, the Palestinians. Egypt doesn't want them. Jordan doesn't want them. Why don't they want them? They've already said because they won't fit into our society. Because they've been corrupted. With all the ideology of Hamas. That should tell us something. should tell us, right, there's something going on here with Jerusalem and God's plan. And read the scripture. Have, come to it. Lord, show me. Reveal this grand and glorious mystery, right, that you're about. All right, let's move on. Restore the gospel ministry of deliverance to set people free. We're throwing all kinds of big stuff out this morning, all right? Next what happens is, folks, this is the height of Paul's ministry, the power of the Spirit on him. I mean, people were touching handkerchiefs and parts of his apron to him when he was ministering, and they would take them out and lay them on sick people and lay them on demonized people, and they were set free. Just read about it it 's amazing the, the power of what was happening supernaturally in this place. the heavenly realm was stirred over over uh, Ephesus, right People were broken and, and started repenting, started bringing their idols, started bringing all their stuff and repenting before God, their magic books, all their worldly cultish stuff, and laying it before God and getting right with God. The power of God was on the move, shaking the place up right um, the whole place shaking it up in a, in a big, big way. And uh, what happens is in the midst of this were these seven sons of Sceva who come and they um, were uh, part of uh, the Jewish priesthood that they performed exorcists. They tried to set people free who were oppressed. And uh, they started, they said, wow, look how powerful the name of Jesus is that the Christians and Paul's using. And they got into this ministry time with this guy and the demon manifests. And it says, Jesus we recognize, of course. Paul we know. Or Jesus we know. Paul we recognize. But who are you? Who are you? From the heavenly realm. Now, I want you to listen carefully to me. And then, you know, if you read the rest of the story, it says that demon manifest and just beat up those guys. And this story went all around Ephesus and brought fear, right, to all the Ephesians, right, and opened their hearts, moved them towards, right, repentance. And uh, I just asked the question, just a good brew loss of all of us. our names known in the heavenly realm? Is our names known, like Paul's, in the heavenly places? The book of Ephesians says we've all been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We could go to the end of Ephesians, and what does it say? At the end of Ephesians, it says we battle not with flesh and blood, but we battle with what? Those same evil authorities that govern the nations and the evil and the darkness right in the world um, that is out there. Are we laying hold of those things? Folks, here's the tragedy today. In the church, we've replaced the wonderful, beautiful, powerful ministry of deliverance with methods of the world. We're trying to get people free with the methods of the world. And we've denied the very ministry that Jesus taught his disciples to go do, go preach the gospel and cast demons. I know I'm. I know this is like, or it should be, making us all wrestle but again I ask you are you going to look at the word of God do you know there was no one people had existing problems mental, emotional, spiritual, physical what did Jesus how did Jesus train his disciples to deal with those nowhere did they embrace something from the world doctors yes, Luke was a doctor and others I'm talking about the spiritual part right go deliver them Cast out demons. Deliver them from whatever lies upon them, whatever bondage is upon them. Set them free. Set them free. That's what Jesus... And the great commission was go and teach them everything I taught you. What did Jesus teach the disciples to do? Preach the kingdom, the big message, and to go and set the captive free. Where is that ministry today? In the church. Well... Do you believe that people are oppressed by evil forces today? Do you believe that you could be? Do you believe a Christian can be? It should be pretty clear in just life and everything is that yes, even a profession Christian can have oppression in their life, bondage that they cannot break. And I plead with you this morning to get very personal. If you're wrestling with an ongoing habit, dark thoughts, deep issues generational issues and other things, what I want to give you the hope in is Jesus came to set you free. And when you read the Gospels, it's time for God's people to rise up and have the faith that we see In the gospels, this is how someone is to be ministered to with heavenly places, gifting and reality and prayer and bringing that directly into the heart and soul of somebody's heart of where they're at. That is how people are set free. Why today have we gotten so messy and and I'm not saying some of these things are not good that we're doing. But we've left behind the very thing that he commanded us to do. Again, I plead with you, search the scriptures. What did Jesus command the disciples to do? And do we think that people are less demonized today? What I can tell you with every fact out there is the gate is open in America is that we are dealing with more radical demonization and oppression than ever before. And if the church doesn't rise up with the good news and power of the Holy Spirit, people are going to be left in that oppression and not set free, gloriously free. So we need to recover this ministry, this glorious ministry, right? I... I Isaiah 61, I've been called to set the captive free, radically free. Not just a temporary, you know, kind of fix in my brain to to think differently or something, but radically free. And folks, we live in a spiritual realm. And the enemy's at work. And so I just ask you in this place, if you are, is maybe take a step of faith. Engage some of our folks that will be down here after the service And let's dive in. Let's trust the Lord according to his word to get free and to equip the saints. We will be equipping the saints for that ministry here in the life of the church. We have in the past, we're going to vamp it up. It's the command of the Lord. And it is desperately what people need today to be set free by the power of God. The final one is just the spiritual warfare. Those of you who have read this story, I ask you to go read all this. Is we've got to be equipped and ready for spiritual warfare. Is that, Derek, y'all could come on up. Um, Is that there is always a natural response, a counterattack when a church starts doing what the Bible tells us to do? We start living with a heavenly places perspective, start going after the resources that God has graciously given us. There's a counterattack. And we see this in Ephesus, the counterattack, the spiritual warfare came, and just read about it. Man, it was confusion hit the city. Folks, here's a little side note. Anytime you have confusion in your life, anytime you enter into vast confusion, anytime a nation or a city is in confusion, you can promise that is a spiritual move. Something of the enemy is going on. And the whole city was thrown in confusion. The mob mentality, any kind of mob, this should be evident to all of us, anytime a mob comes together, it's always evil, it's always going to produce something, killing, stealing, and destroying, right, and this is exactly what happened here, and they went into the to the big Colosseum there in a um, theater in Ephesus, and uh, there was just this riot, and they shouted for two hours, because the stirring of the idols of that community were welled up, right, to where Uh, they started shouting as a whole city, great is Artemis, great is Artemis, right? Great is the temple of Artemis, right? It welled up their idol. And it welled up where they were in their heart. And folks, when the gospel ministry goes out, is there's either one side or the other, either respond when an idol in our life or in our community or in our nation, whatever is exposed, we go one of two ways. Either I come under conviction about that idol that's in the way of my worship to God, or I start defending that idol. I start getting angry about, ooh, you telling me about this thing. In the spirit, either I go one way or the other, folks. Am I open to conviction or am I? And what God has for his people is this incredible invitation, as we see in chapter six, right, is that we are to put on the full armor. We're to be ready for the schemes of the devil and to operate and pray. And the final thing I'm going to say here, just to men, I just want to close with this idea is as men, what men we need a battle, especially young men, who are so distracted today, we need to rise up again, and be men, called to the battle, this is the prime battle, we not battle with flesh and blood, but primarily in the heavenly realm, I'm just going to talk about our house, is gentlemen are we keeping, are we guarding the gate of our house, because I can promise you if we're not, is that when that door is open, the enemy is coming in and he's going to attack marriage, he's going to attack kids, he's going to bring out generational stuff, whatever. It is our battle to stand in the gap and to intercede and to pray and to be men, right, who know how to guard the gate in the spiritual realm. And gentlemen, let me tell you, most of you, unless you've been discipled in that, uh, you might not know how to do that. When I'm telling you, Chris has got an amazing thing going on downstairs with Carson, Man Camp Point 2, right? Um, Point Man, these other things. How to be a man, right? To guard the gate is please come. We'd love for you to join us as we are learning better, right? How to do that, to guard the gate. All right, that's a lot. But I just ask you to take those things... Test them with the word of God. If you disagree, if anything I said there rubs you wrong, something different than you've been taught or understand, press into the word of God. Let's have a conversation. Let's go after it. And let's let the word of God reign. And whatever the word says is what we need to step out in obedience and do, right, as a church. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for this time. Let's remove in this, bring unity to us. Lord, may there be an excitement to embrace the things you have for us. And Lord, I pray that you would put a great deep, deep anguish in our souls, Lord, for friends and fellow brothers and sisters, Lord, who who are oppressed, for lack of term, they're not living under your joy. Break in, Holy Spirit. Show us how to operate in your authority, Lord, to bring your love and your deliverance to set the captives free, Lord, to be a faithful church, faithful to the gospel, faithful to your purposes, Lord, for your glory and your name. Thank you, God.